This episode is brought to you by The Island by Adrian McKinty, the international best-selling author of The Chain. So how far would you really go to protect your family? What would you really be capable of if your family was threatened? This mother and father are about to find out. Propulsive, terrifying, and blade sharp. The Island is the next thrilling adventure from the mastermind behind the award-winning global sensation The Chain and a family story unlike any you've ever read. The Island will be released in Australia on the 24th of May, so pre-order today. I read this book in two days. It's compelling, page-turning, and character-driven, and it's definitely one of my favorite reads this year. But be warned, once you start this book, you will not be able to put it down. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. You talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm Uh. feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to another Words and Nerds podcast episode where we bring you literary goodness wherever you are. Today, I welcome Ray Cairns. Her debut novel was shortlisted for the best debut crime fiction in the 2021 Ned Kelly Awards, drawing on her background as a youth worker mentoring disadvantaged children. Today, we're going to chat about The Good Mother. Welcome, Ray. It's so lovely to see you in, well, we met in person first. That's very unusual for this podcast. It's usually the other way around. (laughs) No, we've met at um, Bad Sydney Crime. Bad Crime, yeah. It was great. It was such a nice, um, I think it was one of the first times we were sort of out in public with people. (laughs) It was, and it was just such a lovely festival. I don't know, it had a real sense of camaraderie and it did yeah. I think because we were allowed out of our boxes and we were like oh my goodness it's so good <laughs> yeah. to sit with people well embrace anyone and everyone <laughs> yeah we're all still a bit a bit weird about the social distancing but it yeah. was a really nice time yeah maybe not quite embrace but <laughs> you wanted to though you really wanted to <laughs> now let's start with an elevator pitch for the good mother what's your elevator pitch okay it's a thriller about Sarah Calhoun, a divorced Australian soccer mum of three who's keeping terrifying secrets from everyone she loves. Um, The story opens when her 16-year-old son, Riley, tells her he's been selected to represent Australia at an international soccer camp in Dublin, and she says, absolutely not, no way you're not going. Um, Her ex-husband steps in and insists their son be allowed to follow his dreams, so Riley heads off. But his arrival through Irish customs sets two men from Northern Ireland to hunt Sarah down. Mm-hmm. And one's an obsessive policeman who is determined to uncover secrets he believes she's buried since her time as an aid worker in Belfast. And the other is an IRA executioner who threatens the lives of her children unless she does exactly as he says. Terrifying, but I love mm. it. Tell me about the idea of using Belfast as a setting and how you did some research for that and why. What, what, why did you set it there? Uh, well, during uh, Northern Ireland's troubles, the, the last few years of the troubles, I, w- I worked 
in Belfast mentoring disadvantaged youth. I think you mentioned that before. I took kids, many of them from paramilitaries like the IRA and the UVF, and I took them away on camps together. And so they met for the first time. And I don't know, experiences from my time there and and one of it in particular um, kind of stayed with me and I wanted to use that kind of like a springboard from for the for the novel. Um, Sarah's predicament was uh, the spark for it was from an event that happened in my life mm-hmm. over there. Um, I was in my mid twenties and I was dating a guy and he's you know so charming, um, especially with the dancing and stuff. I'd never experienced you know that kind of I don't know the Irish music and mm-hmm. all that. It was incredible um, and. We were out one night and, a, and an acquaintance just kind of let it slip that he, my boyfriend was, in fact, an active paramilitary member. And you can imagine <laughs> I um, <laughs> broke things off and <clears throat> moved and kept on with my work over there, but it, it created all these questions mm. in me um, that stayed. So, I mean, obviously the main one was, was the relationship ever real or was yeah. he using me? Um, and I, I always kind of wondered when would I have found out and what would the impact have been on my life? How long would it have gone on and how deep would I have got in without really knowing what I was getting into? And then kind of as the years went on, it was also, you know, what would happen if I met him again? So those ideas stayed with me and the experiences I had in Northern Ireland. And then when I sat down to write, um, it was like 18 years later and I was a mum and I'd always said I'd do anything to protect my kids. Yep. And um, and then I got to thinking, well, what does that mean exactly? You know, the practicalities of it and the, yeah. the moral complexities of it, you know, how far would you actually go to protect your kids? Um, mm. That's a great question because you never know, you know, you never know exactly what you would do in any given situation, particularly when it has to do with your children, you know, because we all say that, you know, that. Absolutely. And then you've also, you've kind of got that issue. You've got more than one child. If you've got more than one child, you've got to weigh that, those kind of challenges up as well. Yeah. So um, I had those two ideas combined when I sat down to write the first draft, the kind of what if questions and the questions about mothers. And there were a lot of questions about mothers that kind of came up through it for me. Um, like I really want to explore society's perception of what a good mother mm, is. And, yeah. Um, I think that's really interesting, particularly, you know, when you say soccer mum, because I know that's the description on the back as well. And we all know a soccer mum, you know, we're probably soccer mums ourselves. Yep. But I feel like, just that term that is used in society, there's a bit of a under you underestimate the woman behind the soccer mum. She's just a soccer mum. Absolutely. Even the just. Mm. Absolutely. And I, I think I really want and also like what you see in a, a mother is just part of who a woman is. Yeah. Or you know, I, and I guess her father is part of her parent is, but we don't tend to refer to we don't ever say soccer dad, do we? I don't know. I haven't really well, even heard. in newspaper articles, you're always a mother of two or a mother of three. Exactly. A, a man is a businessman or, a, <sighs> you know, an athlete. But we always Absolutely. get the mother tag and, you know, don't get me wrong, love being a mother. But Same. it seems to be still that when you become a mother, that's what defines you now. 
Absolutely, and that's all people see and there's no, um, and then they, they also judge your actions based on that and what their perceptions of what a mother should or shouldn't do and should or shouldn't be. I mean, there's criticisms no matter what you do, right? You feed them sugar, you don't feed them sugar. You breastfeed, you don't breastfeed. You go back to work, you don't go back to work. Everyone has something to say. (laughs) We're judged on every aspect of it. And I just don't feel like like the partner gets the same, like, are you going back to work? You know, that's not a question that your partner usually gets. (laughs) No. No. And you also, you know, he's, oh, he changed nappies. I was like, yes. Wow. <laughs> Fancy that in 2022. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it was an interesting kind of thing to play with that she's more than just the facade of a mum, but also what judgments. I kind of wanted to challenge readers on when they first meet her, she comes across in a um, quite anxious, over-controlling overreactive kind of way um but there's a there's there's more to it underneath the layers and I suppose I wanted to challenge the reader to think about that and maybe somewhere maybe it would give them more empathy for other people they observe out in public or whatever and they don't know what, what the background yeah. in the story is. No, it's really interesting. And I like how, you know, part of your writing, and I believe your next book that you're working on too, is about that every person. You know, so it's not about the detective or the person who has, you know, the IQ of a million. It's, it's just about <laughs> the normal person. She's and, an ordinary person. And what, you know, what yeah. you would do. And I also like the challenging of stereotypes about what is a mother, what's a mother supposed to do, because it is just one part of us and often the rest of that gets forgotten and it gets forgotten by ourselves as well. You know, I remember coming out of the fog of, you know, the five years of continuous breastfeeding of my kids and sort of coming out and going, who am I? Yeah, well, for, for me, writing was my first first time. So I sent my daughter off to high school and that was the first time I gave myself true permission to do something for myself. Mm. So there's always guilt attached to any time yeah. you spend away from your kids, which is yeah, not, not great. No, no, and it isn't who you are. We're so much more than that. And the other thing that was interesting about Sarah is obviously her experiences in Northern Ireland. She actually has PTSD. Mm-hmm. And if we had, if, if she was a Vietnam vet, a male character, people would assume that the anxiety and the mistrust and all of that is kind of fair enough. But because she's a mother, yeah. it kind of it challenges their perceptions, I mm-hmm. guess, a bit in that way. It's really interesting and it's frustrating because, you know, you think in 2022 there should be different perceptions of people, but it's still sticking around. So I really like having these conversations about that and I really like books that, you know, shine a light on that as well. And, you know, Sarah Bailey's book did that with yes. um, her protagonist, um, wasn't, you know, the traditional nurture mother and she wasn't a bad person but she was a flawed person and she had thoughts just like all of us do sometimes Aren't we all flawed <laughs> yes well hopefully show me the most boring person on earth i'll be perfect <laughs> that's right exactly and who wants that <laughs> yeah, so I, I really like that i really like the idea you. of of challenging what a mother is i think it's really important i think we need to keep doing that and i love what anna Downs says when she describes the book you know she said it celebrates female strength and speaks mm. to the extraordinary courage and resilience of mothers everywhere because it's not for the weak no <laughs> no it is a thriller <laughs> it's a 
a thrill. And, and I do, never prepared. I do throw her in the deep end numerous times. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I remember telling my friends, my friends had, had children probably 15 years earlier than I did. They had children young. And um, I remember when I finally had my kids, I was like, why didn't you tell me how horrific childbirth was? And like, we did. You weren't listening. <laughs> listen though till you go through it <laughs> and it's like, like that we told you over and over again I'm like wow no, no I, memory of that <laughs> you know you read about it and you watch all the videos and you do all the things nothing can prepare you for that very primal experience and look I I loved the experience despite the obvious pain now writing this book your debut book what's the greatest challenge or what was your greatest challenge of writing crime fiction I want to say getting it published <laughs> Yes, that's probably true in all cases, as well um, as the obvious. <laughs> but was, hang on, hang on um, we'll go to that in a minute too, because you won the award as well, which is pretty impressive. And then we'll look at the publishing journey because. No, I didn't win. I was shortlisted. 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 Sorry. Sorry. No, that's okay. Same, same. It's still a win, right? <laughs> First of all, challenges in your writing. Um. Okay. So when I first, I wrote the first draft and I got the opportunity it took me about eight months and I got the opportunity to show it to um, Mark Lamprell, who's a writer, director, um, producer. So his third book's just come out, um, The Secret Wife. And he was amazing. He just said to me, oh, I love the characters, love the dialogue, um, love the story, but you need to develop your writing skills. <laughs> he was very nice about it. <laughs> so um, I embarked on a year-long writing mentorship with Catherine Heyman then mm -hmm. and she oh she is just so knowledgeable and so skilled at being a mentor but it was one of the hardest things I've ever done mm -hmm. um she we went through kind of we met once a month and we went through 10,000 words at a time wow and each time we met, she would give me feedback. And at the beginning, it was like really basic, like this is how you set out a manuscript and this is how you do indentation, all that stuff, you know. It was, um, and then, you know, and these, this is stereotype and this is overwritten and this is. So the first, after that first meeting with her, I went back to my writing group and just went, oh, I cannot do this. This is too hard. I don't have the skills and I, and I, absolutely freaked out but I just sat down and dug in and and did it and by the end of my time with her I learned to I guess embrace feedback mm -hmm. but I think that was a really challenging part of writing my first novel was learning to yeah take that feedback yeah. and and not not just apply it but but actually run with it yeah and and now I love it. I love solving those problems. It's probably one of my favourite parts. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's still not easy, but yeah. um, when it came to kind of doing, because I, I did another edit with HarperCollins, um, we'll get to that story in a minute, but, yeah, with, with, when I did that edit with them, it, it was still, you know, solving problems and, and fine-tuning and I still wrote, you know, I wrote another 10,000 words and cut 5,000 and so, yeah, it was... Um, it's that for me, I think, learning to embrace the feedback. Yeah. yeah. And I think if everyone has the piece of work in mind to make it the best piece of work, I think you can deal with the feedback. 
you know, if there's feedback and it's just plain old negative or change this, or I didn't like that. But if everyone is like, okay, we're working on this thing together to make it the best it can be, I think you can take it. I think it's the intent of the feedback. Absolutely. And then I think also if you're coming at it with that intent, okay, this is hard, but I want it to be. Yeah. You almost have to go, okay, ego, you're going to sit under the desk. Yeah. And you're going to be quiet and I'm going to deal with this to make it the best thing because it is hard. You know, yeah. and writing is a really personal thing. And when oh, you're yes, writing, you're like putting yourself <laughs> out there. And after a while, you don't even know is this good? Is this the worst thing on earth? Is this somewhere in between? I've no idea anymore. I still don't know. I just <laughs> do my best and yeah, move on. Pass it on and see what happens. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so tell me about the publishing journey then. Um, okay. So after Mark gave me that and did the mentorship with Catherine. Um, the resulting manuscript got me an agent mm-hmm. and I, which was really exciting and she was really positive and she was you know, talking about, you know, bidding wars and all sorts of stuff. So I was like, oh, so excited. And she put it out to the publishers and there was like a deafening silence. <laughs> Nothing came back. <laughs> which is fairly usual. <laughs> oh, and um, so that was my reality moment up till mm-hmm. then. Everything had been pretty positive. Um but I kind of knew deep inside it needed more work. I wasn't okay. quite sure what, and okay. neither was my agent. So I took the manuscript back. We um, very amicably parted ways. And I sent it for a manuscript assessment and applied that feedback, which was accurate. And, and um, then from that, I got another agent. And again, wow. it was all very exciting. And she put it out to the publishers. And this time there were some nibbles. <laughs> but it still didn't get over the line. And then I got rheumatoid arthritis. I was diagnosed oh. with rheumatoid arthritis. And for two years, I oh was my goodness. so sick. I mm. um, reacted to the medication they gave me. My hair fell out. Oh, I was in and out of hospital. I couldn't even think straight, let alone speak a sentence, let alone write one. So, um, yeah, writing went on the back burner for two years. And then I got the right medication and um, kind of got all excited again and, rang my agent and said, okay, I'm ready to go again. And she said, I'm so sorry, but I'm closing my agency. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> At that point I went, okay. Excellent. <laughs> maybe this is a sign that I'm supposed, that was my apprenticeship novel. It's supposed to go in a drawer. Maybe this is the universe telling me. Mm. And then my mentors and my writing group got in my ear and said, no, this, this deserves to be read. It deserves mm-hmm. the light of day. Thought about it and decided to self-publish. Um, but it was really important to me that it could sit on a shelf amongst traditionally published novels and belong there, yep. both the outside of it and the inside of it. Mm-hmm. So um, I set out in February 2020 to learn everything I could about publishing and I hired a professional cover designer and a professional editor and learned about formatting and bisect codes and uploading <laughs> Amazon. And <laughs> I didn't even know the difference between publicity and marketing. So I had to learn everything. And um, so I released the novel in December 2020. Um, and I was really pleased. It got some great reviews. Other writers just so had my back. They really supported me. And it even got read by people beyond my friends and family, which, you know. <laughs> That's always a bonus. That was a bonus. I was thrilled about that. And so I kind of considered that, okay, I've done it. It's out there, draw a line under it, move on. 
And um, and I was happy with it. I felt like it was a success within my mm-hmm. kind of guidelines. And then in the February, I was contacted by Belinda Publishing. Um, it's an audio book publisher. And a vision-impaired lady had contacted them saying she wanted to listen to my book. So they read it and sent me a contract for the audio book rights. Wow. So then that was um, the audio book came out in June 2021, 2021. And... Um, yeah, I was really excited. Then I'm a hybrid author of a traditional mm-hmm. publisher and I've got the print and ebook. And I was like, yes, and you know, that's a success. I'm happy. You move on, write the next one. And then in July was the Ned Kelly announcement. And that just changed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, my inbox was flooded. And uh, within two weeks, I had a brilliant agent. And a week after that, I had a two book deal with HarperCollins. Wow. So I kind of went from. So just keep going, keep swimming, keep swimming. Yeah, 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 pretty much keep swimming. Yeah, absolutely. But I like the work you put into it as well. You know, you didn't just go, no, this is it. This is the best novel on earth. You did the manuscript assessment. You took the feedback. You did the year long. You know, it's it's almost like you have to do the work and you did the work oh, and then it paid did. off, you know. Yeah, and you, you either do it through writing another novel and another yep. novel and another novel. But with this one, I, I it just kept coming kept nagging at you yeah yeah so it, it kept I had to keep working and like I said I still did another you know solid edit with Harper Collins yeah. as well so yeah. that it was kind of finesse a new for book a, yeah wider audience mm. and yeah that's a great story it is I love that <laughs> it is I like it I like I kind of like the struggle it makes the beautiful book kind of even more worth it you know it does. <laughs> <Why the> struggle. <laughs> even though it's your struggle it's probably terrible <laughs> Look how successful it ended. It's got a very happy ending, right? Yeah, happy ending's always good. The uh, the question I ask all my guests when they come on is, why do you write? Why do I write? Um, I guess I've always used creativity outlets to make sense of the world. Mm. Um, I've got a degree in performing arts. I was kind of in that from the age of 18 months through (laughs) till... I finished my degree and then I decided I didn't want to be a performer anymore. But that was kind of singing, acting, dancing. Um, I quietly wrote songs and poetry, didn't show it to anybody, but it was still <laughs> whenever I did it, it was my way of trying to make sense yeah. of, of the world, of people's actions, of people's motivations. Um, and then writing kind of allows me to go deeper mm. with that. And I like um, the I idea can... of creativity and being able to tap into all sorts of creativity. Yeah, yeah, well, I think, you know, yeah, I don't know. For me, there's lots of different ways. I, I can't draw for <laughs> to save my life. But I just have that creative soul. Yeah. And it was and they're all connected like, too. Mum, I tried to ignore it. Yeah, yeah, we just don't have yeah, the time totally. or the energy or the sleep. And- yeah, but they're all connected you know, because they're all about <laughs> expression and they're all about, um, you know, making sense of the world and creating something from nothing, you know, that's mm. with performance and art and drawing and yeah podcasting and all this all the creative avenues podcasting yeah everything yeah absolutely well it's so lovely to speak to you finally about this book the good mother it's just such a great novel in all parts and i'm glad we you know were able to talk about it 
in a little bit of depth, particularly the character and what you were trying to cover. And, you know, I think the journey um, is actually really inspiring for all writers because it's just keep slogging away, keep doing it, keep doing the work and, you know, hopefully it will eventually pay off. So thank you so much, Ray, for your time. And I really look forward to whatever you have store for in store for us next. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast, Eddie.